The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Good to see you guys today. He is Shea is uh, helping the church that we help plant um, in Prairie Village. Uh, their pastor is on a mission trip, and so, so Shea went over there, and he's filling in the pulpit uh, for them today. It's, man, it's good uh, to be here. I, I feel good, man. I feel like a a little spring in my step. The fall is like, man, the, the leaves are falling, the chiefs are playing, and the bucks are chasing, man. It's a good day in my life. And so, like, I'm, I'm excited about uh, the weather change. Always nice um, to see that happening and hope you uh, are enjoying it as well. Last week, man, we were diving into uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we talked about soul music and the power of music, and really the purpose of soul music in the context of the church is to chase away darkness. It drives darkness away. That is the singular focus of what we should be focused on when we're thinking about how we use music to glorify the Lord. Man, it pushes darkness away. It's not just about an expression of art. It's about a spiritual battle, and we saw that uh, Saul was being like tormented by all of these different um, anxiety and, and, and really like it talks about a, an evil force, a presence that was over him and it had to do with his disobedience uh, to the Lord. And so like they found David. He could, man, he knew the Lord. He walked with the Lord and they brought him in with his harp and he would sing and the, and the darkness would flee. And so we learned about that last week, and then we jump into 17, chapter 17 is all about David and Goliath. And so I preached that um, early this summer, so I don't want to do that one again. As a matter of fact, I, I kind of want to do that one again. It's one of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible to teach, but I felt like the Lord was impressing upon me uh, since I had done it so recently to, to kind of move beyond it. But you see this incredible battle um, that David has used um, to slay this giant, nobody else in Israel would do it. And there's a lot going on there. One is trusting, we can see how to trust the Lord and how the Lord can use us to win major battles. But then we also can see um, a picture of Jesus in this. The ultimate evil of darkness is kind of symbolically, we see it in, in um, the real Goliath. And so we see a type of evil there. And then in, in, in uh, David, we see a type of Christ. And the Bible is like, it does that over and over. We see that Jesus like showing up and that's called like typology. We're not saying that, that it's allegory. Like we really believe that David and Goliath happened, but we see that God is foreshadowing what he would do ultimately against the great evil that comes against us and destroys us and separates us from God through Jesus Christ, the lowly servant who would come and die on the cross of Calvary to set us free from our sin. And so we see that in that, that passage of Scripture. And so this, like, just real quickly, man, what happens is David goes out and faces this giant. He slays him, like, man, with a slingshot. The giant falls. He cuts his head off. And nobody in Israel would go out and face this giant. But David, who was a very young man, as a matter of fact, he was coming into adulthood, um, he goes and he takes on the challenge, and after he slays him, he stands over and pulls out his sword, cuts his head off, man, and starts carrying it around. Like he carries the head of this giant around. You don't normally hear about that in the kids' church, right? But that's what happened. And if you read it, you'll see that's what happened. And so, like, um, Saul 
is looking at that man, and if you read chapter 17 at the end of it, he's like, who is this dude? Like, who is this kid? And he asks his lead commander, Abner, which is a cousin of his, he says, Abner, who is this dude? And so he says, man, I don't know. He said, find out whose kid this guy is. And so they bring David to Saul, and Saul had had experiences with him because he had been playing music for him to drive away evil, but he didn't know anything about him, man. He was just a servant in his court. So he said, I want to know who you are. And he says, man, I'm, I'm just a kid, a shepherd boy from Bethlehem. My dad's name is Jesse. We're a poor people, not a whole lot about us. And so he's like, what is going on? It's when we pick up in chapter um, 18, it would seem that when you have an experience like that, like thousands of years later, it didn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you believe in um, the God we find in the Bible or not, you know about David and Goliath. Like, it's used for everything, the ultimate David and Goliath match. Mm, I got to tune into that, right? And so we use it for everything. So everybody knows about it. So here, here we are, man. Like, this is a significant event that happened in this guy's life. That we, like, it's an incredible story. So you would think after he accomplished that and God used him to do something as great as that, that things would be amazing in his life. Like, he would just move forward and there wouldn't be any problems because, I mean, look at what this guy is doing. He is fully yielded to the Lord. And so, like, the Lord just going to use him and he's not going to face any opposition. Well, that is not the case. As a matter of fact, we go on years, even after he's told that he is going to be the king of Israel, years take place before God actually orchestrates it and he assumes the position of king. And during the midst of that, he faces incredible opposition. And so rather than things just taking off, if you're feeling like that in your life today, like, man, you, you keep trying to get it going and you feel good one day. And then all of a sudden, man, it feels like everything is falling apart. And you start scratching your head and going, what am I doing wrong? Why is God like doing this to me? Why is God allowing this to happen? What needs to be corrected in my life in order for God to step in and, and straighten these things out? Sometimes you're doing exactly what you need to be doing. And the sign of all of that opposition is that you are walking right in the will of the Lord and he's bringing you through a journey. Now, certainly there are times that if we rebel from the Lord and we're rebellious in um, our, our, our calling and what the Lord is asking us to do, then there's discipline that comes. And we know that. We see that. We see it, saw it happen um, with the man, the, the first king, King Saul himself, who will be a, a part of this story that we're going to look at. But, but I want you to know that, um, man... When you get serious about following the Lord, you just need to like um, buckle down because things are going to be challenging. And the more serious you get about following the Lord, the more difficult sometimes things can become. And I find an incredible amount of encouragement in this uh, story that we find about David's life going right after he kills the giant to the opposition that he faces. Now, now this is what happened. So he finishes this conversation telling Saul who he is. And it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, who is Saul's son, so just like for clarity's sake, he's the prince of Israel. He's the guy who's going to take the throne. Like that's the way royalty works. And, and so he's the one that's to follow his father as the next king. And it says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David. 
and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow. Nobody's getting my bow. Okay, so, and so when he gave him his belt, it's like, man, this guy, like he loved David. Now, if you remember, um, a few weeks ago, we were looking at a battle scene that where nothing was happening. There was a stalemate, and Jonathan instigated um, a battle by going and conquering the, uh, the, the, the Philistine outpost. And his armor bearer, it, it said that they... Um, the, the phrase was bilabebeke, kilabebeke, two hearts beating as one, battling together. And so like these, these two guys, man, they had a, a deep belief in the Lord and how he could use them and, and the purpose that he had for their nation and the promises that they had been taught all their lives. They really believed them. They owned them. And so now we come to David and when, 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 when Jonathan sees David go out and take Goliath out, Man, he's blown away. He like, his heart is like beating. He's like, here is a brother that gets it right here. Here is a brother in the Lord. He believes like I believe. Now, sadly, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to um, unpack this, but sadly, there are people who try to, there are liberal theologians who will try to take this passage of Scripture and make a case for homosexuality. And there are two things that they're doing when they, they take that step. One, they're compromising the word. That is not what is being taught here. That is not the words that are being used here that we see um, that are used in the Hebrew, uh, in the text, original languages that talk about how a, a man and a wife come and they, they know one another. And it uses a word that says that they have relations. That's not the word that is used here. So one is the word of God is being twisted and used to try to send a message that somebody else wants to try to establish something that they want to be right in the word. The second thing that is happening, and this is very sad, is that it's an attack on the masculinity of manhood. Like, like here's two brothers, man, and it's talking about deep love and devotion. It is a friendship, man. When you get a friend like this, you can accomplish incredible things in your life because you are thinking the same way. And they shared with one another their belief and their faith in the Lord. And, and so much so that, that Jonathan just recognized that the hand of the Lord was all over David. And, and what's crazy, man, you want to talk about a dysfunctional family, we're going to see one today. And so, like, he, he gives him his robe, he gives him his sword, he gives him, like, all of his stuff, man, and he's like, man, I, I'm so encouraged at how you walk in obedience to the Lord. And so it says that whatever Saul sent him out, and, and this is an interesting thing that we need to kind of pick up along the story, is that David before was going back and forth to his father and, and serving Saul. But now that this has happened, he's part of the royal family. And so Saul keeps him there. And it says that whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. Man, he would give David something to do and David would carry it out and the Lord was just all over it. He would bless it and there was success in it. And so the Lord was moving in David's life and the, the officers, man, they were watching this dude and they, they saw that this wasn't a fluke deal when he took that giant out and they were watching him lead and they just wanted to follow him. And so whenever they were coming back into town, 
It says that when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs with tambourines and lutes. And they danced and they sang. And this is what they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And I don't know how it sounded, um, but like, like the, <laughs> I kind of got an idea of how I think it would sound good, but I'm not going to embarrass myself. <laughs> and so like they were saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And man, when Saul heard that, it says he was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands. He thought, but me, only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Man, here's a step toward destruction in your own life. He had a jealous eye on David. And the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. And we talked about this. This could be an angel of judgment. And, and, and so, like, it comes and it begins to torment him. And he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. And so, like, he comes to this point where he's so worked up, his jealousy and how he feels about David, he's just in a fit of rage. Anxiety is controlling him. Panic is controlling him. Irrationality is, like, washing over his mind. And he's just talking to himself on the inside, and he just gets himself so worked up. And the, the attendants can tell that he's worked up, and so they call for David to come play as he always did. That's when David first came into the picture, if you'll remember. And remember, David wrote... Um, over half of the Psalms. And, and so like we, we look at him and he's playing and, and so Saul is pacing back and forth and he's prophesying. Well, he's falsely prophesying. He's kind of like trying to look like he's doing the right things. And, and then it says, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. <laughs> we don't talk about a bad day. Like the king's throwing spears at you, man. You're in there and trying to minister to him. You're in there like doing the worship thing. You're, you're trying to drive away the darkness in his life. You're singing some of the psalms over his life that you've written that the Lord gave to you. And as, as you're singing those things, man, and you, you feel like the Lord is with you, then all of a sudden, woof, the spear comes right by your head and sticks in the wall. But then it says he eluded him twice. He didn't run the first time. He probably started trying to minister to Saul. Hey, listen, king, like... What's up, man? How can I help? And then when the, sword, the spear came again, he, he got out of there, which was a good thing. But, but it shows the, the loyalty of David as he's trying to minister to this guy. And then it says in verse 12 that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Now, again, for those of you who weren't here last week, let me clear this up. I want to bring some clarity to this passage. Do you need to be afraid that the Lord is going to leave you if you have met the Lord? No, that is not what is happening. Remember, we're in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God came upon people and departed um, frequently. That's how he worked. And it was not the norm for him to come and rest on someone and stay. And that's what he did with David. Now, in the New Testament, after the day of Pentecost, 
When the Holy Spirit comes, that's what the gospel message is all about, is we'll receive forgiveness of sins when we confess Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and the Holy Spirit moves into us, and he indwells us. He doesn't indwell the tabernacle any longer. We become the tabernacle, and God lives in us, and we are marked, Ephesians teaches us, chapter 1, we are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And so, no, the Lord doesn't depart us, but so like that's a good uh, thing for us to understand when we read across passages like this. We don't need to be afraid of that, but we do need to be concerned that if we walk in rebellion, the Lord will discipline us. And so we talked about that a lot last week. I want to clear it up because it mentions it here. And if you want to learn more about it, you can watch last week's message. And so he sent David away like he's afraid of him. So what's he going to do? Like, I'm afraid of this guy. I've got him here. They're singing songs about him. The songs that they sing about him are better than the songs they sing about me. I'm jealous of him. I'm like tormented. Just get him out of my sight. And so he says, he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. So what he's doing is he's like, when he gives him command over a thousand men, he's putting him on the front lines. He's trying to get rid of this guy. He's trying to get rid of David. And so David is following the Lord and now his neck is on the line. And what does he do? He just steps right into the battle. He's like, I'm not scared. Like, give it to me. You give me a thousand men, you give me a thousand men and we will get some work done for the nation of Israel because God is with us and God has promised it. So this is his attitude. He doesn't have one of fear. He has one of taking command and doing exactly what the opportunity presents before him. And so David led the troops in their campaigns and look what verse 14 says. In everything he did, he had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. What happens to Saul? When Saul saw, not seesaw, but Saul saw. (laughs) When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. So one guy the guy that was at the top was afraid of him. But the, all the rest of the people were following him, and they loved him, man. And so Saul is like, what am I going to do with this guy? So he says to David, here is my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you in marriage on this condition, he says. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to him, I will not raise a, a hand against him and I'll let the Philistines do that. He's going to try to increase um, the risk that he can put on David's neck. Now, what's interesting about this, and, and we're kind of passing by, remember what the promise was in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 for the man who slayed Goliath? I'll make your house free in Israel, no taxes. You get to come and live at the castle. And number three, you get to marry my daughter. We already killed the giant. And so now like the, the person, this is what it's like for a person in the, a kingdom to deal with a person who is not following the ways of the kingdom. Sometimes we have to deal with things. People don't keep their word. Sometimes things aren't fair. But we, what are we called to do in the midst of it? When people treat us, um, mistreat us, or they don't do the, the things that they said they were going to do, we just keep following the Lord. Just keep focused on the Lord. And so he says, uh, I'll give her to you if, if you'll do this. And so... Um, It says that uh, uh, David said to Saul in verse 18, who am I and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? And so when the time came for Merab, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, what happens? She was given in marriage to Adriel of Mahola. And we don't know exactly what was going on there, but this has got to be a weird time for David. 
the king says this, and then he's like, who am I to do that? And then the, the, the daughter is given to someone else. And so now it says in verse 20, we see the, the Lord working out for the good of those that love God. Verse 20, now Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. Now, why would he be pleased that a, that a guy that he feared, that he didn't want to like succeed him, why would he be pleased that his younger daughter was in love with him? Here's why. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Then Saul ordered his attendants. He's working behind the scenes because he knows that David had some hesitancy before. And he says, speak to David privately and say, look, the king is pleased with you and his attendants all like you. Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David. But David said, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. And when Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, say to David, I mean, he's just like, he's scheming back there. If you think when you're following the Lord, people won't scheme to try to take you out, man, you are mistaken. Like, they will. There are people scheming all the time. You just have to understand that if you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead and lives in your heart, man, you don't have to worry about people scheming against you. What you have to worry about is following through with what the Lord has called you to do. You don't have to be afraid of someone else scheming against you because the Lord is not scheming against you. He has your best interests at heart. And so they... He says, he says to them, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge of his enemies. And so Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the, of the Philistines. If I lay, man, he, there's no way he can do this. And so when the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. And so before the allotted time elapsed, what did David do? David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He doubles it like that's the abundance. Man, I'm reminded of John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and, and, and kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so we see the abundant provision of the Lord showing up in David's life. And so he killed them and he, he brought their foreskins and, and presented the full number to the king so that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michael in marriage. And when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, like his own daughter wouldn't even turn, like, like the Lord was just so all over David. Saul became still more afraid of him and remained his enemy the rest of his days. And the Philistine commanders continued to go to battle. And as often as they did, David, what happened to him, met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers. And his name became well known. Man, there's so much truth in chapter 18. Like, there's so much powerful truth for us to take away and go, man, how does this, what does this mean for me? I'm like, it's a great story, Jimmy, and I appreciate you sharing it, but I want to go uh, watch the Chiefs play. It starts at noon, man, and I'm hungry, and, and I don't even understand other than this is a great story. Just, man, finish it up, bro, right? Let me give you some takeaways. Like, there's something to the word that will help you in your walk as you're trying to see what the Lord wants to do in your life. Here's the first one. In and out always flow from up. What, what does that mean? In and out is 
our relationship with people inside the kingdom and our relationship with people outside of the kingdom. Okay, so my ability to connect with spiritual family, which is what we're trying to do with this church, is establish spiritual family. Not just a large crowd of people, but a spiritual family that know how to go and conquer the Philistines in their lives. That know how to go to battle. And so the the in is how we connect with each other. The out is how we connect with those who aren't part of the family that we're called to minister to. And so we we reach out and we, we serve people. We reach in and we connect with people. The problem is, is that we often will know that there's a, there's a feeling on our hearts, there's an impression from the Lord when we know him, that we ought to be doing something. We ought to be doing something to make a difference in the kingdom. And so because we feel that way, we will put the out and the in, like we ought to be doing something in the church, we ought to be doing something outside of the church. And so we will take the in and the out, and we will, we will put them before the up. And you cannot do that. David never would have been in this position if his up had not been established and he had not been living out in a, the right rhythm what the Lord had called him to live out. And so the up is our relationship with God. And so it is essential that our up be first and primary. His up was primary when he was a shepherd out in the fields and he was singing and writing songs, okay? about the Lord. He was writing truth that we turn to in the book of Psalms now, and we look at it for inspiration and comfort and challenge and wisdom. And so he's, his in was happening there. The king calls for him as he's doing that. His in is established before he slays the giant. His in is established before he meets such, or his out, I'm sorry, or his up, sorry. His, his up is established before he starts doing the in and the out. And so the, what happens is we see the same thing in Jesus. Like if you study Luke chapter 6, you'll see this incredible verse in Luke chapter 6. Jesus spent all night in prayer. Just prayed all night long. He's a son of God and he prayed all night. Why? He's establishing that the up is the essential thing. He comes down from the mountain and the first thing he does is he calls the apostles, the end. And the next thing he does is he goes out and he ministers and people were coming to him. Why? Because power was flowing through his life. The Bible says of him as he aged that he continued to increase in stature and in favor with God and man. Why? Because his up was established. The rhythm of his up and understanding it is essential that I be with the Father and I have time that I take away from all the things that I have to do that I connect with the Father than the Uh, in and the out will flow out of my life and how I connect with people in the kingdom and reach people outside of the kingdom will flow from that. And so the Lord was with him and gave him success. The greater the challenges are in our lives when our up is established, the greater the successes will be. And so up is essential. Guess one of the things that I find the most common thing that every time you ask people, hey man, are you in the word? Man, I'm just so busy. Who's not? At some point, we have to come to a place in our lives where we believe that it is valuable for me to take some of my time and focus on the up so that my in and out, I can get it done. One of the reasons you're so busy and feel so overwhelmed is because you're taking no time for the up. And so the, uh, all of the in and the out that you feel like you need to do is crushing you. 
Because you feel like you can't do it. And so you end up functioning more like Saul instead of like David. And fear starts entering into your life instead of realizing, man, I have been put on this planet to conquer the giants that the Lord sets in front of me. And how do I do that? By connecting with the up. The, the in and the out always flow from the up. That's takeaway number one. Here's takeaway number two. Insecurity can drive us to do stupid and self-sabotaging stuff. Like when you are insecure, you will do stupid stuff and you will self-sabotage um, the things in, in your life that God is wanting to, uh, to, to bring about. Saul was jealous over a lyric in a song. I wonder what Saul's life would have been like had he just looked and went, man, that is amazing what the Lord is doing in that life. That guy's life, what can I learn from him? I'm thankful to have a guy that's part of my kingdom that he can slay 10,000 men because that's gonna be better for me as I'm leading my kingdom. You see, he could not share success because he was insecure. Proud men cannot endure the praise of others. And so he starts to indulge in envy. And indulging in envy always gives the place for a de the devil to operate. The, the, the word says in the New Testament, do not give uh, the devil a foothold, like in your relationships. Why? Because when he gets in there, man, he will bring destruction. And one of the ways that we can do that is we can envy things that are going on in other people's lives. And with envy comes confusion and hypocrisy. When you get envious about something, you will, you will introduce confusion into your life and hypocrisy. What did he do? He pretended to be religious when David was trying to worship to push out the darkness. He pretended to be religious. He pretended to prophesy, and no doubt he was prophesying something false. And so he tried to look like he had it all together, and he brought confusion into his life. David, we look at him, and what is he there to do? He's there to serve. What is Saul there to do? To slay. You need to terminate this thing, man. You need to shut this thing down. This is out of control. You can't sing songs about somebody else. I'm the king. You're going to sing songs about 10,000. You're going to sing them about me, and you're going to sing 1,000 about somebody else. I'm going, to, I'm going to slay this guy. And then if you think that your family is not impacted by your journey with the Lord, you are severely mistaken. What does Saul end up doing? Using his kids. He uses Jonathan he uses Michael. He even tried to use his oldest daughter. He doesn't look at his kids as a gift from God that he can help establish in the ways of the Lord. He looks at them and how can he use them to get what he needs out of life. And so that's what insecurity can do is it can cause us to do a lot of stupid stuff and, and, and really be self-sabotaging um, in, in the things that we do. Here, here's the third takeaway. What evil intends for harm God will use for good. I'm so thankful for this. David was elevated more and more. Why? Because of the opposition that he was facing. And we already know that evil was behind it because the word tells us. And so what evil intends for harm, God will always use for good. So whenever you see things unraveling around you and you don't know how to make sense of it, what should you do? Focus on the up because it's going to 
impact the in and the out. Stay focused on the up. If you stay focused on the up, the in and the out will take care of itself because even if the things that are happening around you are evil in their intentions and there is a force behind them, as long as your up is right with the Lord and you're walking with him, then you can expect that the power of the Lord will move in this situation and you will be elevated more and more as you walk it out humbly before the Lord. And the effects of the success that David had It added to Saul's fears, and it increased his favor. With all of the opposition, do you know what was happening? Like God had told David you're going to be the king. But with all the opposition and David being true, guess what all the other people were recognizing? This dude is bad to the bone. Like the hand of the Lord is on this guy. He uses him. And they started following him even though he wasn't the king, and the king was trying to sabotage all of it. And so we see that what evil intends for harm, God will use for good. I'm reminded of Joseph and his brothers. If you know the story of Joseph, and I'll just summarize it real quickly, he was one of Jacob's sons that Jacob loved a whole lot. And his brothers envied him, and they sold him into slavery to the Egyptians. And the Lord rescues him. He becomes a leader in Egypt. He becomes second after going through prison and all kinds of other stuff. He becomes second only to the Pharaoh himself. And his brothers end up coming, and they are worried that that he is going to um, take revenge on them because their father has died. Because now they're having to live in Egypt because there was a famine in the land. What is God doing in the midst of all of the circumstances that we're facing that, that feel like it's just everything is against us? God is working, man. He's just working. And he's looking down and he's like, this is my child. And this is why Jesus says, ask anything in the name of my name and it will be given. What does it mean to be in my name? To up. I'm focused on the up. I'm not focused on the in and the out. I'm letting the up drive the in and out. And as I'm focused on the Lord, he's walking with me. The Lord is looking at me and saying, man, I got this, Holbrook. I got this. Just keep walking it out. Don't get discouraged. I've had my hand on your life your whole life. Just keep following me. You know that when you get off track and you rebel, you know how much of a mess you make in your life, Holbrook. Just keep following me. I'm going to keep following you, Lord. And, And then I walk it out and, and, and sometimes two weeks down the road, sometimes two months, sometimes two years, sometimes a decade. And I go, man, like look at what the Lord was doing in that. I had no idea. And then you start to see it all coming together. And this is what happened for Joseph. It says to them, he says to them in, in Genesis 50, 19, he says to his brothers, don't be afraid. <laughs> Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I'm reminded of our promise that we get in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What does it say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? If God is for you, who can be against you? So here's the big idea. Let your hands be driven by a good head and a good heart. Now, what does a good head and a good heart look like? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 7, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God. There's the up. And, and God's mighty hand. He says, uh, 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 
I lost my place. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Come on, man. Because he cares for you. And so, like, let your hands, what you do, be driven by a good head and a good heart. Now, does that mean you try to be good? No, that's not what I'm saying. A good head and a good heart is one in which you realize that you need truth. And so you, you look at the gospel and you say, Here's, I'm being challenged with the truth of the gospel. That if I confess my sins, that Jesus will forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And so I confess him as Lord and Savior. And that's a good head. Like if I am thinking about that. Now I need it to make its way into my heart. So that my mouth, when it speaks, I'm not prophesying falsely like Saul was. I'm speaking truth like David was. The truth has made it from my head to my heart. And then when it gets into my heart, then it will drive my hands and I can say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Now, that's what it means to come into the kingdom. Like that's, that's our way in. Jesus is the gate. He says, I am the gate. I am the way. There's no other way but, but through me. And so that's, that's letting the truth get in my head, coming into my heart, and then my hands physically responding to it. This happens, in, this never quits happening. Like, the truth of what you're going to get in is like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the word to, today, and I'm just going to sit with the Lord a little bit because I want my up to be there, and I'm going to get the word in my head. Like, I'm going to just get it in my head. And once it's in my head, I'm going to think about it. I might think about it for all week long, this one scripture that just hit me while I was sitting with the Lord and asking him to speak to me, and, and then it finds its way into my heart. And guess what happens is I have to choose to obey with my hands. And when I learn that rhythm and I obey, guess what happens in my life? Freedom. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so the Lord starts looking at us and he's like, man, like, kids, I got some stuff I want you to do over here, man. And I want you to, I want you to walk it out. I want you to listen to my voice. Would Jesus say, my sheep, <laughs> they hear my voice, they listen, and what do they do? They follow. And so how do we listen? I'm going to get in the Word. I'm going to talk to the Lord. I'm going to let it get in my head and my heart, and then I'm going to let it dictate what my hands do. And then I'm going to start following Jesus. And then Jesus is going to look. Man, look. He's like, we got one down here. Like, what happens when a person does that for the first time? The scripture says the angels in heaven rejoice over one lost sinner that comes home. So when it, the truth gets into the head of a person, it sinks down in the heart and it opens up the hands and they say, I want that. Then all of heaven rejoices. I think the same thing happens when we walk in obedience. Jesus said, man, this is how they will know you is when you obey. And so like the truth gets in our head and it goes down into our heart and all of heaven erupts when we step out with our hands and obey what the Lord has asked us to do, man. And the Lord says, look, we got one, guys. We got one. Let's pour some more favor onto that guy. Let's give him favor with us. Let him give him favor with me and the Father and give him favor with his fellow man. And God starts pouring out the blessing. 
Listen, man, if you don't have this down and you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you are missing it. My whole life is staked on this right here. Like, I don't do what I'm doing because I love the ministry and I thought, man, this would be a great thing. I do what I'm doing because I am blown away by the freedom that rolls out of my life. And I try to convince other people to quit playing games with God. This is not a religious experience. This is not a church thing. This is your life we're talking about. This is the living God of the universe that everyone else, and let me say it as strongly as I can, every God that has ever been imagined will bow at his feet. There is only one. There is only one. And I believe it with everything in me that Jesus Christ is the living God of the universe who died for my sins to make a way possible for me to be in relationship with him. So it is the singular force of my life is yielding to him as Lord. Let me say it like, man, I am not disappointed. Like there was a time that I was letting fear manipulate me and keep me from surrendering. And I was so disappointed with myself. I mean, I'm just walking now, and I'm just having fun. And so the Lord wants you to know him and have that same kind of thing going on in your life where you're yielding to him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's in your head today? Like, do you got a lie in there? Or are you trying to, like, is something trying to, like a lie trying to get in there about, Something, some way, something you're, you're thinking, some envy. It could be anything. Just the, the enemy's always trying to get a lie in our heads. Look at the truth. Is there tr- like there's truth in there. Like you just got doused, just dumped a load of truth on you today. It's in your head right now. You gotta let it make, it make its way to your heart, man. Your most emotional constitution, the way that you... You surrender and you, you live life as what's going on in there, where your desires are. The greatest, the thing that you want most in life. Look at that. Those are your desires. You got to want Jesus more than that. You got to want the truth more than that. And that's how the desires start to come to be. And so like, what is in your head? Let it make its way into your heart. And what is trying to find its way out to your hands in obedience to the Lord? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.